Thank you all for being here today. It's good to see all of you and so many of you on this Sunday and to be together in this holy and inviting place. It's uh, always good to be together and I always look forward to, to spending Sunday mornings with all of you. And I hope you've had a, a good week as we move toward the end of summer and move closer to football season. Some folks are rejoicing and others are in despair. But... Uh, <laughs> That's all right. It's that time of year, and it's going to cool off in a little bit, and it'll be a lot of fun. But it's good to see you. It's good to be back together. I want to continue today in John chapter 6. I would ask you to turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 6, verse 35, and then we'll move up to verses 41 through 51. John chapter 6, verse 35. And then 41 through 51, would you stand as you are able for the reading of the Holy Gospel? Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then verse 41, then the Jews began to complain about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not complain among yourselves. No one can come to me unless drawn by the father who sent me, and I will raise that person up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. may be seated. Today I want to continue with part three of a four-part sermon series from the sixth chapter of John's Gospel. We've already talked about the feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two little fish. We've already talked about walking on the water and the crowd telling Jesus, give us this bread always, not knowing the difference between bread and bread, bread with a little b and bread with a, a big b, the bread of heaven. In today's passage, Jesus makes one of the several I am statements that are included in John's gospel. Now, bread of life got me to thinking about hunger and and what it means to be hungry and some experiences with hunger. And I want to ask you, what's the hungriest you've ever been? And if at that point in your life somebody had asked you, I'm so hungry I could eat a, how would you fill in that blank? Could eat a bear if the bear doesn't get me first. I'm so hungry I could eat tree bark or pine cones. I've heard folks say that. Don't know about that. I'm so hungry, I could eat a rutabagger. (laughs) Promise you I have never been that hungry. (laughs) Never hoped to be. And uh, you can have my share of all the rutabaggers in this world. 
The hungriest I can ever remember being was when I was initiated into a special camping society of sorts in the Boy Scouts. The initiation was from Friday evening until Saturday evening. Breakfast Saturday consisted of a single boiled egg, and lunch on Saturday consisted of half a sandwich. It was peanut butter, if I recall correctly. And all day long, we worked with swing blades along the side of the road, and we worked with shovels, digging a hole where they told us a septic tank would sit, and other kind of physical things. And by the time evening came and they had finally fed us, we were famished. Growing boys have to eat. Supper was compliments of the colonel. I still remember. And it seems like we ate the bones and the plastic utensils and the box and everything. It just hungry. What's the hungriest you've ever been? And I know some folks grew up some, during some pretty hard times and, and knew hunger. If not, no food at all. Maybe a lack of food or not as much as you wanted. Or not exactly what you wanted to eat. And if you were slow to get to the dinner table, sometimes you got the last piece of chicken, if there was any chicken at all. I've heard lots of those stories. And I've also heard stories about preachers getting asked over to people's house to eat and getting the best piece of chicken and children sitting around and wishing he would go away. <laughs> I don't know. I hope I've never been a part of that. Um, somebody told me or I read the story a long time ago. They said they were so poor growing up that their mother would cut a picture of a ham out of a magazine and tie a string through it and attach it to the light fixture above the table. And they would swing it back and forth and they would sop the shadow. I don't, uh, I don't believe that, but I've, I've heard that story. Webster defines hunger as the discomfort, the pain or weakness caused by a need for food. Also, any strong desire or craving can be referred to as a hunger. Hunger can be devastating, directly affecting everything we say or do. John Steinbeck in The Grapes of Wrath wrote this sentence or these sentences. He said, the fields were fruitful and starving men moved on the roads. The granaries were full and the children of the poor grew up with diseased bones and intestinal disorders. The great companies did not know that the line between hunger and anger is a very thin line. And nowadays, in a little lighter way of looking at that, we've coined the term hangry to talk about when folks are so hungry, they get angry. Physical hunger, I would think real physical hunger, not the kind we smile about, but real physical hunger must be a God-awful kind of thing. And as followers of Jesus Christ, the hungry folk in this world, the truly hungry folk, are our concern. How can you read scripture and think any other way? How can you hear Jesus say, I was hungry and you fed me and not realize the importance of feeding those who are physically hungry. But our scripture lesson for today, even though I think that is animated in this passage, it has to do with more than physical hunger. It has to do with that deep down hunger in our souls and in our hearts for something that will give us guidance and direction. I want to spend a little time thinking about three of those hungers and, and how we approach them. And maybe you identify with some of these and perhaps not. But one of the things, I think, for which we all hunger is a sense of community, 
a sense of belonging or acceptance. We want to be part of some kind of group. We don't want to be isolated and alone and ignored. We hunger to be part of a group where what we say and what we do makes a difference, where somebody will know if we don't show up. We want to be a part of that. Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. We want to be accepted. We want to belong. And along with that goes, in light of what's happened this past week, along with belonging and acceptance goes R-E-S-P-E-C-T. We want respect. We do. We want people to acknowledge us and not ignore us. And another hunger that we all have is the hunger for security. We like to think that we have protected ourselves from all of those things in this world that would do us harm. We like to think that way. And we like to believe that we have enough put away, enough resources put away to cover us when the rainy days come. Don't hear that expression as much as I used to, but people used to talk about saving for a rainy day. And I remember in the Hopewell Church in Milledgeville, where I was back in 1984 to 1990, down the road from the parsonage was an older couple who had become a part of our church. And he was critically ill, probably wasn't going to live much longer. And I was at their house one day, and he was so despondent. And he was telling his wife, this is costing us so much to take care of me. We put all this aside for a rainy day. And she said, darling, it's pouring. (laughs) The rain had come. The will to survive is a basic instinct. And we take what we believe are necessary and reasonable steps to, to be cautious, to guard ourselves against harm. And then a third hankering or hungering that we have that comes out of the scripture passage, whether we acknowledge it this way or not, is a hunger for the word of God, for the bread of heaven, for Jesus the Christ who has come down from heaven to offer us life abundant and eternal. And the word of God is Jesus. And the words he spoke are the words. And the words that are written in the scriptures are the words. And we think of all of those when we think about the word of God. It's a universal hunger. Not everyone can identify it, but I believe it's a part of all of our lives. Have you noticed that it seems like over the past few couple of decades anyway, there are places in this world, on the continent of Africa and Korea and other places, where people come in mass to hear the word of God, to experience worship, to be part of a community of faith. We have a hard time some Sundays driving a mile or two in an air-conditioned vehicle, and folks walk for miles because they have such a hunger for the Word of God, such a craving, and they know there's nowhere else they can find satisfaction to that emptiness in their lives. Church is exploding in many places, but it doesn't seem to be true closer to home, does it? There are a lot of strong churches in this community. I'm impressed by that. I'm grateful for that. But there are a whole lot of folks who are effectively unchurched, to use that term, 
who are looking to fill that emptiness in the wrong places, in the wrong ways. And also there are sometimes, believe it or not, malnourished folk in the church. Even though the Lord's table is piled high with the bread of heaven, with the grace of God, and so many ways to experience that. And sometimes we go hungry because we don't take advantage of that amazing grace that is, is right before us. I have a theory about all this. Let me see if I can explain it just a little bit. And then maybe when we have a chance later to talk, you may have some, some thoughts about this as well. I'd love to hear from you. My theory is called the junk food theory. And let me start with another question. If I were to ask you, and don't answer out loud, you don't have to. You don't have to confess. Somebody said a confession is good for the soul, but it will ruin your reputation. And, uh, here's the question. Any junk food junkies here today besides me? Any of you? And, and what's our greatest weakness? Uh, we have found something at our house, and we fool ourselves sometimes. These new little thin Oreos. And you say, well, they're so small, that can't hurt. And then you eat two or three times as many of them as you would if they were the other ones. So it doesn't help a whole lot. And I love the goldfish, whole grain pretzel goldfish. What about that can be bad for you? And so many things. And I used to like all those little Debbie things, you know, those little cakes and all those kind of things. And at one time, I loved Twinkies. Now, you remember when Hostess, I believe, was going to quit making Twinkies and somebody else picked it up, thank goodness, because I can't imagine a world without Twinkies. We had a dog named Twinkie at our house once. So... uh, (laughs) I got addicted to those things when I was student pastor, and I can trace that back to one incident. And, well, anyway, it's like this. Three of us, student pastors, used to carpool together to the Candler School of Theology at Atlanta, at Emory. Uh, and we were, I was in Waco, Georgia, and Steve Stone was at the Bethlehem Church just outside of Bremen, and Randy Newkirk was in Buckhannon. And so we would park at a certain place and get in one car and we'd drive to Atlanta. And a lot of mornings our wives would prepare some kind of breakfast food for us to eat in the car, a sausage and biscuit or a muffin or something. And uh, Steve was from Memphis, Tennessee. You might need to know that. He was a southerner. Randy was from somewhere in Illinois. And Steve and I were talking about fried egg sandwiches and how good they were. And so Randy had never heard of that. So he talked to his wife about it. And the next morning, I'll never forget it. I wish I could. Uh, we left Bremen about 6.15 every day to head to Atlanta. We all had 8 o'clock class. It was still dark. In wintertime, it was very cold, and Randy drove a big old 1960-something ugly green Chevrolet Impala. It was a cold morning, and he passed out the sandwiches, the egg sandwiches that his wife had made. Oh, goodness, they had grown quite cold. There was mayonnaise all over them, which is a no-no. I mean, you don't do that. And the eggs were over easy. And, um, uh, and I was in the back seat, and I bit into mine, and that yolk began to ooze down my chin. And um, I slid it back in the bag and slid it under the back seat of the car. I don't know if you ever found it or not. And... Uh, Steve and I asked him, could we please stop at the Golden Pantry? And he said, you still hungry? And we said, yeah, we need some Twinkies. We need some dessert to go with those fine sandwiches. So breakfast of champion, Dr. Pepper and Twinkies. And that was for a lot of mornings. And uh, I used to think about 
writing Randy an anonymous letter that he could pass on to his wife and explain to him about how you do a fried egg sandwich, but I don't know if he ever called on or not. He was not from around here. Uh, junk food's taken a beating from nutritionists and physicians and others of late. Makes you feel full for a little while, but sugar and fat, and it leaves you kind of empty and, and kind of malnourished. And here's my theory about why there are so many folk in this world, so many folks in this land, who seem to have a hungering for the things of God, but they satisfy that hunger or they try to satisfy that hunger with junk food, with stuff that feels good, looks good, smells good, but in the long run won't do you much good. And we've partaken of so much spiritual junk food, it seems like, that our deepest hungers go unsatisfied. And we're convinced ourselves that we're full, yet we're missing the nourishment that, that we need. So many teachings, so many things out there now, so many books and blogs and articles. And sometimes it's junk food because it looks good and it sounds good and it even uses a Christian vocabulary sometimes. But it's all about making us feel good and taking care of us. And there's very little there about taking up your cross and following Jesus. There's very little there about sacrifice and commitment. And we take those junk foods and we feel pretty good about that. Let's think about those hungers again that we mentioned, our hunger for a sense of community. I believe that we live in a nation and live in a land full of joiners. People will join most anything. We join civic clubs and societies for the preservation of this and that and sororities and fraternities and social organizations and you name it, we'll join up. Other groups too, sometimes groups too strange to mention. Most all of these groups are exclusive to the extent that you have to be a somebody or know a somebody or have a certain amount of resources before you can fulfill the requirements of membership. And I'm not saying that these groups are all bad. Many of them do a lot of good. I've been a part of several of these groups myself over the years. But I'm saying that when it comes to that deep spiritual hunger for a sense of belonging and acceptance and respect in this world, there is no substitute for the nourishment that we receive in the body of Christ, in the community of faith, in the church where we come and we gather around the bread of heaven. And those deepest hungers begin to be satisfied. And consider the hunger we have for a sense of security. And think about some of those things in our life that we connect with security. And these things are not all bad, but I think we do these things to make ourselves feel more secure. Things like insurance and door locks and weapons of all sorts and security systems and investments and gated communities. Again, it's not that these things are bad in and of themselves. It's just that they cannot satisfy that deep spiritual hunger that we have for security. For knowing that all is well with our soul. And that regardless of what comes our way, we're going to be okay. We believe, don't we, in abundant and eternal life that Jesus the Christ, the bread of heaven, offers. And if that's true, then why are we so afraid? Why are so many folks frightened? And then consider the hunger we have for the word of God. It's easy to put too much faith in human beings, in human minds, and in human hands. 
It's easy to be inspired and challenged by the words of men and women, some very eloquent speakers who get our attention. But there's one central, deep-seated hunger for the Word of God that no junk food in this world can ever satisfy. And that's a hunger for the bread of heaven. For Jesus the Christ, it's important that we listen to one another. It's important that we learn to trust one another and respect one another. But it's more crucial that we hear the word of God and experience that word as it was made flesh in Jesus the Christ and as we read it on the pages of God's word. Junk food can be right tasty, but ultimately it cannot satisfy our deepest hungers. We need the bread that comes down from heaven, the bread of life. And in John chapter 6, that bread is spoken of on three levels. Level one is physical bread, like we eat the feeding of the 5,000. They actually had bread to eat. And then level three is the Eucharistic bread. The bread of Holy Communion is referred to here. But level two is what we're talking about today. The bread of heaven come down in Jesus the Christ to fill that deepest longing and need and emptiness in our lives. Jesus is the bread of life. And the word became flesh. Jesus became flesh and lived among us full of grace and truth. The word which reveals God satisfies our deepest hungers. It satisfies our deepest craving. It is life-giving. And he humbled you, it says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, and we talked about that last week, and fed you manna which you did not know, nor did your ancestors know, that you might come to understand that mortals do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There used to be a snack food company around. I don't know if they just disappeared or if another company bought them out. I don't know the story. But anyway, their slogan, their motto was, don't go around hungry. Don't go around hungry. What I want to say to you this morning is, don't go around. Don't leave this place with your deepest hungers unsatisfied. There is no famine or the word of God today. Junk food might make you think you're okay for a while, but your spiritual life and your life overall, your vitality will perish if there's a lack of the bread of heaven, the word of God. Jesus said, I am the bread of heaven. Jesus says, come. Amen.